There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, once again it's the beginning of the month and that can only mean one thing, we've got Sky Guides on the way and I wouldn't be able to do that without UK Astronomy's involvement so joining me on the line should be Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. I'm here, I'm here, just about. (laughs) I had an event last night so I'm slightly tired but I am here. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, actually. But uh, apart from that, what you've been up to? Obviously, there was a storm or two. <laughs> and if people didn't know, my day job is I'm a firefighter in London, so I was on duty through pretty much all of it, which was amazing fun, as you can imagine. On top of high-rise buildings with 80 mile an hour winds and O2 getting torn apart from what I saw. And <laughs> I take it you didn't have any involvement with that one? No, no, we were out somewhere else because what happens is you get uh, what's known as batched mobilising. So when something like major hits, it was a major incident, it was declared a major incident, we just get a list. So it comes out on the teleprinter, a list of shouts. So you go to the first one, then you go to the next one where it's resolved, then the next one, you just keep on going until either, you know, it stops or the list runs out. We were out, I think, from about 1 o'clock to about 7.30. So we were out all day just dealing with all sorts of things flying around, trees, chimneys, you name it. It was crazy. But luckily with my lot, no one got hurt. Everything got sold. A few cars got bashed up and things. There were some helmets and stuff of buildings flying around. So luckily we got hold of them, stopped them flying down because you don't want stuff like that flying down from like the 10th floor onto people and things like that. So yeah, it was all resolved really well. And I was, you know, pleased with it, knackered. <laughs> there was a lot of people saying different things on social media. I mean, I had somebody posted something saying, how comes in this country we're never prepared for any weather whatsoever? And I'm thinking, how do you prepare for winds that strong? There's nothing you can do about it until it's done and then deal with the aftermath, really. Well, I'm guessing even in America, almost every year, there's always some sort of storm or hurricane or something or more that hit. Even like with that, what can they do? All they can do really is predict it earlier. Yeah. You, you still, they just tell you to board up your windows and things like that. I should have asked Janelle last night, actually, the NASA Solar System Ambassador, because <laughs> she probably knows because she used to live there. A lot of the places where hurricanes hit, the buildings are made of materials that can be easily replaced. Mm. So, a lot of their buildings are not brick based they're kind of like slatted wood or or stuff like that that can be easily rectified in a lot of cases if a house that's brick built gets damaged you've pretty much got to write it off and start again but with a framed building you can do a lot more with it i mean i was out in florida in the 90s and we, we missed hurricane andrew which was one of the really nasty ones by mm. about a day that was lucky we were lucky that we flew out the day before it actually hit us but you know how bad things are when you know when you go in mcdonald's and you've got those paper tray liners yeah well usually they've got things like word searches and all that kind of stuff on it when you get near to a hurricane going on on the back of this sheet it's what you need to be aware of what you need to do on the lead (laughs) up to a hurricane all, all the emergency numbers all that kind of stuff 
and it's when you see things like that that you think yeah this is really serious now time to fly out (laughs) (laughs) it was a busy week and it's sad that you know some people did you know get hurt didn't they and passed away Mm. for it and so that's really sad but what can you do it's 120 mile an hour winds that was recorded on the the Isle of Wight I've got an aunt and uncle there so I did give them a message after the day and went are you guys all right (laughs) I think in London you had between 80 and 90 miles an hour winds. Yeah. I know around here we had something like 76 mile an hour winds. Being on the, the east of England, we were in the, the red zone. Which is unusual, isn't it? It's usually, you know, I hate to say it, it's usually Scotland and that that ends up getting all the bad weather and the rubbish and, or island. They had the one a couple of days before, didn't they? they yeah. it's, it's depending on where the winds are coming from as well, how they name them, I think. Ah. So the one that they had, the winds coming from a different direction and it was Storm Dudley. <laughs> they need to make these storms names a little bit more... You know, if someone says, oh, Storm Dudley's coming, people go, yeah, Dudley. They need to call it, like, you know, Storm Terror. <laughs> Something like that. Make it a little bit more dramatic for people to actually pay attention. Well, Eunice, wasn't it? I think Frankie's uh, mum's sister's called Eunice. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's uh, Storm's coming. <laughs> I've forgotten what the next one's called. It's Fra- some, it Franklin. Francis or Frank Franklin. That was it. Franklin. Yeah, that was the one that was that was yesterday. Yeah, Luckily, it yeah. died down before I did my event. It finished just about, what, three o'clock, four o'clock as it died down? I'm 40 now, and we've had two, haven't we? <laughs> One in the 80s with old, what's his name? Michael Fish. Yeah. Good afternoon to you. Earlier on today, apparently, a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. Bless him. <laughs> the next day, I've got a tree outside my house, literally up against my window. <laughs> so we had the great storm of 87, and then there was one in the early 90s, 1991, something like that. I don't remember that one. My dad used to have this solid oak shed, and it blew the roof off and smashed right through the neighbour's fence. Oh, nice. I'm actually quite pleased, because a few years back, I uh, took me and the neighbours all pitched in took all our fencing down because it was all wooden and rotting hmm. and we did all the fencing and we decided we were going to go concrete concrete posts concrete gravel board bit so that we could just put the fence in and if it goes we can just take the fence out and put a new one in yeah. and I'm pleased to say it is, it's still up it's still going I'm like yes <laughs> that's a proper you know man job <laughs> Unfortunately, my parents have been suffering with it a little bit. During the storm, they lost all heating and hot water. Oh, that's not good. And they've got like a 60-foot... When I say 60-foot fence, I mean 60-foot going down the length of the garden, not 60-foot high. It's a bit like Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want anyone in. And the whole length of this 60 foot fence just went wow um and they're being quoted around sort of like three grand or something to get it replaced yeah because it's not covered under insurance apparently that's a shame yeah so that's something they've got to sort out well they're older so they're you know they're hardcore they know how to deal without a bit of internet or (laughs) heating or well put it this way during the gulf war my mates turned around and said if they'd have sent my mum out to baghdad she'd have sorted it out in a couple of days (laughs) That's all we need to do, isn't it? Jettison a load of mums and nans out. Go, go, go. (laughs) (laughs) They would have dealt with it. Yeah, we had a storm or two. Probably another one on the way, maybe. I mean, it's quite windy today, to be fair. Yeah. It's my only night off, so I was thinking about having a little nice fire pit out there. It's clear skies, apparently, but if the wind's going, that's going to ruin it for me. Just a little bit. That's why I need to get this inflatable planetarium. My front room isn't that big, but I'm just going to pretend. Put it up in the front room and just sit there. 
Obviously not have a fire pit, because that wouldn't work. I was going to say, that my first thought is, you don't want to put a fire pit in an inflatable <laughs> um, planetarium. Oh, well, that's what tiredness does to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we go into the main part of the show, I felt it only right to mention something. Earlier this month, we lost one of our Field of Force Day family. Gail Howard, Field of Force Day executive team member and wife of Field of Force Day co-founder Simon Howard, sadly passed away after her battle with cancer. First of all, our deepest condolences and thoughts go out to Simon, his family, Gail's family and their friends on the sad passing of Gail. From the entire crew at TGP Nominal, Gail has always fought for what she felt strongly about, whether it be cruelty to animals or inclusion. Gail was also passionate about ice skating and became a professional ice skating coach. So a group of her closest family and friends have agreed to try to establish a charity in her memory to support people in Cambridgeshire with additional needs and disabilities to ice skate, something she championed for many years. Simon has set up a GoFundMe fundraising page to help kickstart the charity. So if you would like to donate to the fundraiser, you can find the link in the show notes. Now, as you know, Ross, establishing a charity can be pretty difficult. So if it's not possible to bring the charity to fruition, any monies that are donated to the fundraiser will be donated to Maggie's Cancer Charity at Charing Cross Hospital and Macmillan Cancer Support in Peterborough. So once again, our thoughts go out to Simon and families. So I'll take this time to have a short break. And when we come back, we'll go into the Sky Guide. Explorers. The same curiosity that sends us to the stars at the speed of thought urges us to go there in reality. And whenever we make a great new leap, we elevate humanity, bring people and nations together. new discoveries and new technologies so remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet be curious On canvas with paint in the artist's school. It is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. So, Ross, what has Mark's got in store for us? Well, most of the planets now are out of the way. Can't really see them, unfortunately. So we've got, as a kind of like rough rundown, Uranus and Neptune are still up. They are setting a little bit earlier. 
through the month, but you can see them with a telescope. The morning is kind of the main thing at the moment. You've got Venus up in the sky, which we'll talk about. There's also Mars just kind of below it. Mercury's popping up in the March skies. And also I believe Saturn is creeping up. Jupiter's kind of by the sun. So I think we've lost the planets for a few months, but there are loads and loads more that we can see. So I'm gonna start off with the first of the month. There's a comet up. I think we might have spoken about this last month or maybe the month before. It's Comet 19P Borelli. It has been really bright and it's gonna start dimming, but it's still bright enough to be seen with binoculars this month. It's going to start the month kind of to the left of Aries and the star Hamel. It's rising into Perseus towards the end of the month, although it is, as I said, dimming. So it might be best to see it at the beginning of the month because by the end it might not be as bright as you can see. It is a periodic comet and it was visited by the spacecraft Deep Space One in 2001. So it's something we've actually gone and seen and visited. I think you can get some pictures, you can see what it looks like on Google. So that's a nice comet that you can see. I don't know exactly where it is at the moment, but as you know, we always put notes on here or on our website at www.ukastronomy.org where you can actually see where it's gonna be, you know, throughout the month. Moving on to the second, slightly easier, as I said, morning at the moment. You've got Mercury and Saturn. They're in the morning sky. It is going to be a tough spot because they are quite low and also the sun rises about half an hour after they do so again please be extra careful not to look at the sun we don't like that because it hurts your eyes and it could make you go blind so please don't do that be careful venus will rise around about 5 a.m with mars just kind of below it I believe it's kind of below to slightly maybe to the left of saturn at the moment you will also see to the left mercury popping up just there so saturn and mercury are kind of going to be together saturn higher up mercury to the left Venus is really high, easy to see, really easy to see. The others are gonna be a little bit more difficult. I think Mars is better, but as you go, Saturn and Mercury popping up there. Saturn will be the higher one. If you see the two little dots in the sky in the morning, and then Mercury is the one slightly below it. We move on to the third, and if you're into your minor planets, which some of us are, you've got 16 Psyche, or Psyche. That sounds a bit more, <laughs> a bit of pop music. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. Psych. Uh, it reaches opposition tonight, so it's just under Leo the Lion, and it's a large M-type asteroid, which means that it pretty much it contains a higher concentration of metal than other asteroids. They're widely thought to be a source of iron meteorites that might have been a part of the core of a planet that maybe didn't get together or maybe got broken up in a collision. We have gone and visited some of these to find out and learn about how the cores of planets are made. So these bits of asteroid floating around, as I said, must, they were going to be another planet at some point in the asteroid field between Jupiter and Mars, but it didn't have enough to clump together. So we've got all these bits that we can learn from. It's almost like, like dissecting a planet all around us, which is quite cool. The prefix 16 of the 16 psych, it signifies that it was the 16th minor planet in order of discovery, pretty much. So there's all other bits out there. So this is 16 psychs. Have a look there, see if you can find it around Leo. It's really cool. Again, I will put a note up to show you exactly where it is because it moves throughout the night. It's a little white dot compared to the stars. So it's easier for me to show you on the notes than it is to explain because I find that quite difficult because they're quite often in the middle of nowhere with no stars near them. But if we move on to the eighth, an easy thing to see. We've got a nice crescent moon and it's gonna be in between the Pleiades, which is an open star cluster, and the Hades, which is the bull's head of Taurus. Now this will look really cool because you'll have the bright blue Pleiades to one side and then you have the V-shaped cluster of the Hades the other side. The Hades are redder and they make a kind of stunning contrast with the red stars, then the moon, then the blue stars. So it's kind of like older stars, younger stars with the moon in the middle. Awesome picture if you've got a camera or something like that or your phone might be able to pick them up. Now this is going to be our naked eye object of the month, which I will speak about a little bit later. 
because you can see both of them by eye and the moon there, it'd be a really cool thing to see. So that is our naked eye object. On the 10th, uh, morning again, you've got Venus and Mars. They've got a little bit closer. So in the sky, they're kind of like passing each other. So I believe Mars is going past and underneath Venus. And they would have got a little bit closer in the sky in the morning. Bright Venus is going to be above the red planet. You can't miss her. As I said, she's absolutely stunning in the morning sky. Mars will be the slightly dimmer, redder one below it. I do believe the star Antares is more to the right, which is also a kind of red star that gets mistaken for Mars. So don't get mistaken by that. It's literally just below Venus. Again, the sun will be rising around about an hour or so after. So you've got kind of like an hour or two window of opportunity to see them both. If you get up early in the morning, about 5am, it starts rising. If we move on to the night, same day, have a little peek at the moon again, around about 5.30pm, so nice and early for you. There's a crater, I'm going to call it Ptolemus. It's P-T-O-L-E-M-A-E-U-S. And I believe it's usually a silent P, <laughs> so I'm going with that. But it's going to be just below sort of the middle of the moon. So where the middle of the moon is, where the shadow is, just a little bit further down along the Terminator bit. I'll be back. Which is the shadow. The shadow there is actually going to kind of cast into the crater itself. And it's known as Nessie, which I'm guessing, I've not seen this yet. I've only seen a picture of it, that it looks like the Loch Ness Monster. So the shadow actually looks like maybe Nessie popping out and having a look in the crater. So that's something fun you could have a look at. There's also a great little crater called Ammonius and it's within this crater. You can actually almost see where the rock has smashed right into it. There's barely any markings around it. It's just a really deep, dark hole in the middle of this crater. So you get two for one here. So have a look at the moon that night. Onto the 12th, jeweled handles out. If you haven't heard of that before, we talk about it all the times. It's really cool. It's on the moon and it's visible this evening. It's a Jura mountain range and it's where the sun just glints off the top of this mountain range and because it's all darker below it, the tips of it just like really, they call it the jeweled handles. It looks like a handle full of jewels on the moon kind of glinting out towards you. So it's an awesome effect that you can see. On the 13th, looking the moon again, same area and where the Jura mountains are, where they jut out into the mare. If you've got a reflector, have a look around there and you'll see the maiden on the moon, which we've spoken about before. Great time to see it, it's going to be coming out really well. Same place, it's the Jura Mountains, just to the bottom of them, and it looks like an upside down lady sitting on a rock with flowing hair. And as I said, a reflector telescope is brilliant because it will flip it upside down for you. If not, if you've got a refractor, have a look, see if you can take some pictures, and then just flip it on your phone, and you'll see the lady there sitting. It's really cool. Moving on to the 19th, the moon again, and this time in the morning, it's going to occult a star. So I think we had one last month or maybe the month before where it did a binary star and this is another binary star. I don't think you can actually see the other star with it whereas before you saw two stars that went behind it. If you've got a telescope you might be able to see and make them apart and it's a star called Parima. It's in the constellation Virgo and it's going to slip behind the top left hand side of the moon as the moon moves backwards in our sky around about 5.52 a.m. So you do have to get up early but Timings do change depending on the location you are in the UK. So get out beforehand, maybe 5.30, something like that. Have a look at the moon, spot the star, and then slowly watch it getting closer and closer and then slip behind it. Unfortunately, we won't see it reappear from the other side because the moon then sets shortly afterwards. So I think it's about half an hour, an hour or so, then the moon sets. So you'll get to see it on the horizon and a star slip behind it. If we pop to the 20th and get to Venus, it reaches its greatest eastern elongation. So it's the highest point for us to see. It's going to hang fire there for a little bit before swinging back towards the sun over the next month or so. So now is the best time to see it. It's going to be the highest it will get in our sky until it goes back behind the sun or in front of the sun and come out into the actual afternoon sky. 
So over the next month or so, go out, best time to have a peek at the Goddess of Beauty. If you've got a telescope, pop it on it and you'll see that it's around about the half phase and you can watch it as it moves back throughout the month towards the sun, maybe into next month as well. You actually see the phase slightly changing each time as it goes around. So it's a really cool thing actually watching the orbit happen. Now also today, it is the spring equinox. So the center of the sun's disc crosses the celestial equator, which means that warmer times are coming. <coughs> Happy days, hopefully no more storms, nice warm weather. But for astronomers, so are the brighter nights and the longer days. <coughs> Not happy about that. But there's loads of cool stuff you can see in the summer skies as well, and the planets hopefully will be popping back up. Onto the 23rd, and just after sunset, it's a great time to look for something that's called the zodiacal light. It's a very faint sort of inclined cone glow in the western sky, so it's like a cone that goes up into the sky. It is quite faint, so a dark sky's best. And what it is, is like dust that scatters the light, made from uh, collisions between asteroids in the main asteroid belt. They believe it's debris from comets. And there have been some reports recently that they actually think it's Mars dust as well. And it all has some of a part to play in this like strange zodiacal light. So it's all kind of like space dust. And you can see it scattering the light in the sky. So have a look there in the sunsets and see if you can see it. I've not seen one yet, so I'll definitely be out having a look. Now on the 24th, again, get up early, 5am, and you'll get a fantastic welcome from Saturn, Mars and Venus. They'll be creating a kind of cool triangle in the morning sky. Venus will be the higher, brighter one, obviously. Mars just below right, and then Saturn has started creeping up again. So Saturn will be farther to their left. So it'll be a lovely morning treat. You can watch these three planets rising up into the sky before the sun. On the 25th, the moon has now crept out of the way for a few good nights of darkness, which is a great time to try out our binocular or telescope objects of the month, which we'll cover at the end. So the moon's out of the way, all the great time to see the galaxies, nebulas, and things that you want to look at without the moon washing it all out. Then last but not least, on the 27th, it's that time of year again. With the spring equinox already passed, it's time for the UK to change their clocks. Yay! So we're going into British summertime, advancing one hour at 2 a.m. So don't forget that. To be fair, I don't think we have to nowadays because our phones tend to do it on their own. And so do all our computers and everything. So there's no excuse to be late or early for work, depending. I always say the best time for astronomy is October to March. They're the nice dark times. But I've been out in the summer and there's still loads to see in the summer. So that is everything that's going on in March. So now we're going to pop on to on objects of the month. And I've just realised, Mark, that I've forgotten to do an astrophotography one. Oops. So I'm going to have to apologise for that. But what I will do is I will write one out and I'll pop it on the notes for you. <laughs> I've obviously been so tired from work and stuff. I've gone, ah, forgot about that. It's all about visual with me. You know, that's my problem. But I will write one for you. So I apologise for that. So naked eye object, as I said, on the 8th, the moon between the Pleiades and the Hades. It's going to make for an awesome naked eye view, especially of the bright Aldebaran red star shining in Hades, which is the bullseye. So while you're here, I always say, see if you can spot Orion's belt as well. And if you draw a line up through Orion's belt up to the right, that's how you can draw a line up to Taurus and all these clusters up there. But at the moment, the moon's right there, so you can't miss them. So I hope to see lots of pictures of that. Now the binocular object, while we're there, we may as well look at the Hades. I know the Pleiades get a lot of attention. The Hades don't seem to get as much. So the Hades star cluster is amazing through binoculars. It's really cool. It's like a V-shaped open cluster of stars and it makes up Taurus the bull's head with, as I said, the bright star Aldebaran as its eye. It's one of the constellations you can actually see the V that looks like a bull's head. It actually looks like it with an eye staring down at you. Now the Hades is our nearest open cluster. 
it's at about 153 light years away. So usually you say million and stuff like that. So 153 light years away is quite close, cool. It consists of roughly a spherical group of hundreds of stars, although they are made up of six red-orange stars that we can see. With binoculars, it actually has a lot more for you to see. There's loads more there. And they're known as the brothers of the brighter blue stars, the Pleiades, nearby, because there's kind of seven of each. But as you know, when you look through telescopes or binoculars, there's a heck of a lot more there, absolutely tons. While you're there, you might as well have a look at both, but we're going for the Hades because the Pleiades get all, you know, they get all the attention. So see the comparison between the old red stars and then the nice blue ones next to them. So that's the binocular object. So moving on to a telescope, which is my favorite, of course. Now I've gone a little bit off piece with this because usually I pick one object, but you can see quite a lot of the messier objects in one night over March. They're all kind of up. There's only a few that you can't see. So. Around the 1800s, there was a French guy named Charles Messier. He was an avid comet hunter. He loved finding and cataloging all these awesome celestial bodies and was fascinated by them. But while he was looking, he found that there were other objects in the sky that got in his way that weren't comets. So he catalogued them so that he would not mistake them for comets and waste his own time. So he had a catalogue of all these objects that he could see that weren't comets and he didn't really want to look at. We now obviously use this catalogue to actually find the brighter objects in our skies that we can see. Things like star clusters, globular clusters, galaxies, nebula. There's about 110 objects out there that he catalogued for us to see. And apparently this time of year is a great time to find some and tick them off of your list. Most of them are up over the course of the night, so they won't all be up straight away. But if you're out from the beginning to the end of the night, people call this the Messier Marathon, where you stay up for a whole night and you try and see how many you can tick off in one night. So why not go out for a whole night, try the Messier Marathon and see how many you can get. Take your Astro Buddies out with you, maybe have a competition or something like that, a bit of fun. So what we'll do is we'll add a link that I've got, or Mark will easily find a link, he knows where all this stuff is. Pop it on our website, we'll pop it on the podcast notes for you, and also a Messier a sort of sheet that you can tick off as well. But that's everything for March. You mentioned earlier about an event that you were doing last night. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it involves my local pub, which is always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we know the landlady really well. It's a local pub. We've gone in there and chatted to her a lot. And uh, we did an event years ago. I think it was about two or three years ago, if not longer. We went in for a nice quiet pint, myself and my missus. And Kath was there, the landlady. And we were just chatting to her. And she just went out of the blue, out of nowhere. When do you want to do another event here then? And I was like, cool, yeah. When do you want to chat about it? She was like, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, uh, nothing. She was like, right, come in tomorrow then. We open at 11 and we'll talk about it. With Kath, if you've ever met her or you know her at the Talbot Inn in Loughton, if Kath says you're doing something, you're doing it. You don't say no to Kath. So yeah, it happened last night and it was awesome. It was really good. It was absolutely fully booked out. It was a free event, so anyone could turn up. All you had to do is make sure I also book a table just in case in the bar area where the TV was. So it was pretty much like teaching a school, but in a pub full of people drinking, eating and having fun. 
So it was an awesome turnout. We were really lucky. I did a talk at the beginning. They really enjoyed it. Loads of kids enjoyed it. They came running up and asked me if one kid asked me to sign something. <laughs> I was a celebrity, which I was quite taken aback with, but he really liked it. He drew a little sort of an astronaut cap with a telescope and the moon and the sun in the background and just wanted me to sign it. And he actually drew it while I was doing the talk. I thought it was awesome. And then we were really lucky. I said, right, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to go outside, see what the weather's like. It had been blowing badly because I think it was Franklin was still going or Janice or whoever the next one was and it had just died down and it was crystal clear so we went into the pub garden set up all the telescopes I said give me 10 minutes before you all rush out so you can see the Orion Nebula it's one of the clearest nights I'd seen there Orion Nebula I saw obviously the star Sirius was up really bright we saw the Pleiades we couldn't see Andromeda because it was over the other side towards Milton Keynes so it's quite bright but I saw loads of stars loads of nebulas and things got all the new telescopes out that we got to trial we had Janelle the NASA Solar System Ambassador she turned up in a jumpsuit we talked to all the kids and giving them loads of info about everything adults as well to be fair so she was inside chatting to everyone talking about you know all the sciencey stuff that I can't talk about because I'm not that intelligent and then I was outside doing all the stargazing so a really really good night nice bunch of people loads of them have joined the group now so I'm hoping that we've made a nice, you know, a bit more of a community locally to go out and stargaze with. I mean, it makes a complete difference to the one that we did in 2018 because it was quite a small affair. Mm. Um, although Richard Bartlett came over from America yep. for it. Yeah, he came over and he signed one of my telescopes because he, he donated one to us, didn't he? Bless him. Mm. He donated one of the little telescopes for us. It's actually a really good one. And then I got him to sign the bottom of it just to say, you know, he did it. And we got all his guides out and everything like that, didn't we? Because mm -hmm. he writes guides. And so if you're on Amazon, look up Richard J. Bartlett. He does some great guides on there for small telescopes, things to see. Really cool. I've got all his books here, so I definitely use them. It goes to show how much has changed since 2018 because it's all down to the fact that there is a humongous amount of members in the group now. Yep. COVID, although it was bad, I always say if there's something bad happening, what can you make good out of it? And because everyone's joined, everyone was bored, everyone wanted to do stuff, there's been a massive... I mean, there was a big rise in space anyway. People really enjoyed it, didn't they? They wanted to know and look through telescopes. But now we've got a museum in Daventry which we've done a couple of times before they want me to do a few talks there bang done fully booked in two days that's almost like concert <laughs> all sold out in two days it's mad really nice to see that people are really keen and still you know even though we're all going back to work and stuff now it's all kind of going a bit back to normal don't know how, how long but it seems to be it's disappeared now it's gone overnight <laughs> but it hasn't we'll see how it goes but at the moment yeah it's really it's really nice to see how keen people are and they really enjoy it yeah it definitely seems that way and the response you've had from people from different events it goes to prove that you're definitely doing something right <laughs> yeah fingers crossed they seem to like me i'm not sure why but <laughs> whatever we do you know i think it's because we throw a bit of fun and humor in there as well and also i think the big part of it is let the people play with the telescopes and move them about and look and do it themselves like one kid last night, I put it on Sirius, he had a look. And then when I went back, he'd moved it and found Beetlejuice on his own. He wow. did it all on his own. And he was so proud. He was so proud. I had to give him a fist bump and said, you are now officially an astronomer. I said, you can teach anyone how to use this scope now. You've done it. I said, how old are you? He was like 13. I was like, imagine where you're going to be. I said, I started when I was like, what, 30 something. You're 13. I said, you're going to be an astronaut or something or an astrophysicist. I said, you can, you can do it yourself. It's brilliant. And his little face was just, he was elated that he managed to use his telescope himself without any guidance and did it. I thought it was fantastic. 
And you've been travelling a little bit as well with the Astro Van because you've been travelling up to the Midlands not too long ago. Yeah, so my first ever actual stayover. <laughs> so I thought, it's not too far away, it's about just under two hours to get there. Frankie managed to find a hotel that was literally two minutes down the road from the school. So I could get up, have a shower, have a nice breakfast, all ready for it, and then go and teach this school all day. Now, this is an Islamic school, so it was completely different to anything I've ever taught. They looked after me so well. They were really good. On a Monday, they said that they fast, so they don't eat anything on a Monday until sunset. It's just something they like to do to remind themselves of poverty and stuff like that. But they went out and actually got me food. I had my own food in case, but they bless them. They went out at lunchtime, especially, and got me food for my lunch. They gave me tea. They kept coming. They gave me natural bar biscuits and everything. <laughs> I felt like a, a king or something. They were really, really nice. But what was really nice was I didn't know a lot about their religion and their faith and what they believe in. So I asked and I had a really cool conversation with the head teacher and another guy there chatting about bits that are in the Quran and things like that. And then by the end of it, I learned so much about it's all about revolves around the moon and the 28 day cycle and things like that. Yeah. yeah. They then actually went and got me a pocketbook English version of the Quran. I'm showing my ignorance here a little bit, but I didn't actually know that the Quran had been translated into English. Yeah, well, I'll have to bring it around to you. They said, have a look at the back of the glossary. There's all astro-related bits in the Quran. Whoever I go and teach, I like to be able to relate it to them and, uh, you know, astronomy and have parts there that actually relate to them and what they believe in. So then from there, I can now look up and actually write it slightly differently. It then reflects their faiths and their beliefs as well as my own. So it was really cool. It was like a really nice, I learned about something new and it's the first one I've ever done. So I really enjoyed it. And now, yeah, they've asked me, they said, oh, we've got schools in Manchester. We've got schools here. We'd love you to come along and do this. But what I loved about it the most was we taught all day. We had a break. And in the evening, they did a bonfire. They did a barbecue. Even though it was cloudy and there's a bit of rain coming down as well, they still did it. And then they did marshmallows as well. Mm -hmm. So they did burgers, marshmallows. And it was really nice just sitting there with all the kids doing that. And then we went upstairs and I did the talk. The moon did pop out, which is great. So they did get to see the moon through the telescopes. So yeah, overall, I sit there and I think, Do you know, it was one of my best events just from myself learning as well. It was really cool to, you know, get different opinions and sides and learn. But then when you've got different questions coming your way, it's like, oh, this is cool. I was like, okay, no, I didn't know that. Teach me. Because in the Quran, I believe the guy said, uh, it says in there, and everything will be made in twos. So when I spoke about double stars and binaries and stars being born in twos, he just went, oh, could I say something? I was like, yeah, of course you can. And he said, in the Quran, it says, and they will be, you know, made in twos. Because he likes to put science into the Quran as well and figure it all out. So it's kind of like a little bit of bouncing off each other, which I thought was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Well, if you think about it, a lot of the original Magi were from the Islamic faith. Yeah. A lot of the stars are sort of Arabic and all that as well, aren't they? They're all from mm. that sort of area. That's right. And as much as we like in the Western world to think that we, you know, did it all, they were before the Greeks and the Romans, way before. So they're, they're actually the forefathers of astronomy if you look at any of the scriptures a lot of it will relate to what's going on in the sky in any of the faiths not just as religious transcripts and things you can use the information that's there and you can fuse them together and you can find a lot about how we have evolved as a people i see it as kind of like you know in the science community you always had someone who was just a geologist or just this or just that, just a biologist. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they had their narrow little windows, didn't they? That's all they studied. That's all they studied. And that's all we ever looked at, the separate parts. Mm-hmm. And now people have actually started putting all the... Hang on, going, hang on a minute. But that is related to that, which is related to that, which is related to that. And without that, that makes that. And if we can find out through rocks that plants existed back in the days and things like this. So it all now it's the bigger picture. You put it all together. And that's what science is doing now, isn't it? It's kind of putting them all together and actually talking to each other to figure out the world and the universe and how everything works. I think they call it multidiscipline science. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to do with this sort of thing, with human culture. Mm-hmm. If we all talk together and all put it all together, you've got the whole world's culture and everything that we've all learnt can merge together and create a bigger, better thing, which I think is brilliant. And that's what I love about science. I love being able to sit there and go, right, at the moment, the Big Bang started everything. But then say in a year's time, someone comes back with something and goes, right, I've got proof of this, 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 and this. And you go, well, that fits this and this, but it doesn't fit this and my thing. But you're making sense. So you relate it all together and then you change your mind and go, do you know what? You might be right there. The Big Bang might not because of this and this. So maybe it's now this. And I love that. I don't know why. In my head, I love the, being able to change my mind and sit there and go, do you know what? I like that. I think you're right. I'm going to go and research it a bit more and learn a bit more about it. Yeah, definitely. One of the guys at work, he, we were having a discussion about like the zodiac and that and the zodiacal signs and astrology, which, you know, with most astronomers, it's a big no-no. <laughs> Don't talk about astrology. But then he was saying, well, it's all kind of seasonal. And you know people have certain traits, don't they, according to their signs? Mm. He then sat there and went, well, what if the traits are to do with the season that the baby was born? Because if a baby's born in September, it's going to be a winter baby. Therefore, you have more hardships through the winter. You have to kind of hoard things and eat bits by bits so you survive the winter, which is why that person actually has that trait. And I've never thought of it like that. And I was sitting there thinking, actually, that's quite interesting. I've never thought that it may have something to do with seasons, you know, that you've you've been brought up through and stuff like that, or the time of year. So I'm going to have to have a little investigation into that, something I'm going to have to look at. So he changed my mind and I was like, oh, do you know what? That's different, that is. Yeah. I might look at it all and it won't relate at all, but it's just something interesting to look into. I think it's it's a bit weird with me because um, I was born in June, but I was premature. Hmm. So technically I should be a different star sign to what I actually am. Ah, so I don't know how that relates to anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, which one Which one do you fit in best? For astrology, I am a true Gemini because yeah. I am a twin. Nice. You can't get any more Gemini than... So does that mean I have to call you Castor or Pollux? Which one do you... <laughs> <laughs> One's a binary, I believe, so if you want that one. <laughs> but yeah, I just wondered... I don't think it will relate to the exact month, but maybe the season, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I found it quite interesting. I was kind of like, because obviously a summer baby or a spring baby, that's when the food is all about and, you know, the chances of living is going to be higher. Astronomy is scientific what you see and astrology is what, how we relate to what we see and our thoughts of what it was or how it affects us or... With Gemini, yellow apparently is supposed to be a strong colour. I wonder if there's a yellow flower that blooms. Possibly. <laughs> When I was at school, you know you have different houses and and stuff? Yep. I was in yellow. Oh. When I was in the Cubs, I was in the yellow six. Oh, you're special. And you were born during a storm, weren't you? A storm and a bomb scare, but there we go. brilliant. (laughs) And they say that one of the traits of a Gemini is 
they are very good communicators. I don't know, you, you run a podcast, so that's communicating. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't go with any of that because it's, you know, as you say, uh, not scientifically founded. No, I did studies on twins, didn't they? Funny enough, since you're a twin. They said, you know, well, technically, if they're born in that thing, they should both have exactly the same traits. They should do exactly the same sort of thing. But they found that they, it was very, very different. <laughs> Most twins are like yin and yang. Yeah. Because as I say, I was a twin, and my mum was a twin, and my cousin has got twin sons mm-hmm. as well. It's in the genes then. Yeah. Apparently, I'm always going to come into money. The charity seems to do all right, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so when was the charity born? I'm going to have to look that up now. I think it's November. So what, what's November? Sagittarius, apparently. So the charity is Sagittarius. If you're on the cusp of one or the other, NASA said because of the way of orbits and the way we've moved through the universe and the galaxy, you're actually now either side. You could be different. So apparently our charity is uh, typically outspoken, optimistic, and an extrovert. <laughs> It elicits respect and affection from everyone they come into contact with. Well, I'll allow that bit. Loyal, smart, assertive, and compassionate. So there you go. That's UK astronomy for you. <laughs> anyway, back to the real world. Sorry, I had to do that. I thought it was a bit of fun. <laughs> well, we've covered all sorts of subjects, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spanheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, thanks for coming back on the show again. Thank you for having me. Always good fun. Always good to have a good chat with you about random stuff. Yeah, it was definitely random this time around. (laughs) (laughs) Before we leave, we were supposed to be getting out another show where we were going to have a special guest. We did record something with the special guest, and I have decided to keep hold of it until April for... Astronomy in April. I I have to start getting on that now. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's going to be as mad as last year because last year it was all online, wasn't it? Because we couldn't do anything. So hopefully we'll be able to get together and do some more actual talks and stuff and online bits for you to enjoy for April. Absolutely. We hope to get another show out before the end of the month. I'm going to speak with John. He's all up for recording something very soon. Watch this space, (laughs) basically. (laughs) So it's that time of the show again where I say to you all, thanks for listening, take care one and all, and I'll speak to you again real soon. Clear skies, guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. 
If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.